Trigger warning, you're about to listen to the American Christian Thinker. Trigger warning. Anybody who can't handle adult conversations, topics, this is your trigger warning that we are giving you right now. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. You are about to be triggered. Give me a joke. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm literally about to fucking kill myself and I'm not kidding. You better fucking fix this shit right now. I literally am going to die. I need an ambulance. Welcome to the American Christian Thinker. I am so sorry to my world. I am so sorry to my world. Trigger warning, you're about to listen to the American Christian Thinker. Trigger warning. There's so much potential um, for beauty and for devastation. In this one moment, it's just almost incomprehensible that they can exist right now. So, so close. Welcome to the American Christian Thinker. Welcome to the American Christian Thinker Podcast, brought to you by The Theology Pit. As Christians, we're called to act and not just sit back. We confront the culture head-on, dealing with social justice warriors, atheists, anti-Christians, cults, and religions. All and any topics will be socially driven. What trends publicly will get attended to publicly. Now, here's your host, Samson Kovac. Welcome back to the American Christian Thinker. We're uh, continuing on with our history here for liberals and mostly for the Democrat Party to show what true racists they are and how a zebra doesn't change its stripes and a leopard doesn't change its spots. I would like to apologize for using the word libtard. It's been brought to my attention, and rightfully so, that this word is very, very offensive to people who are mentally handicapped. And I apologize for that. I didn't mean to offend them by comparing them to liberals. Not all of them are liberals, and we should acknowledge that. I'm very, very sorry. So I'm just going to refer to liberals, liberal Democrats, as the unlettered racist that they are. Truly, they know a lot of things that really aren't so. And also, I don't want to come across as a douchebag. So we're going to try and be a lot happier in these podcasts. Let's give it a try in this podcast. So we're continuing on with our racist understanding of the Democrat Party. Now, we last left off with the ninth Democratic president, who was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And just a couple of highlights. He was elected in 1933, had 100,000 Americans put in prison just because he didn't like the cut of their jib. They were just too Asian for him, so let's get them in prison. Let's relocate them and remove them. Because as we've seen from the first one, Democrats, when they're in power, they really like to marginalize people and relocate them. They don't care how inconvenient it is or how many people die. Also, they really dislike black people, like Jesse Owens, who won four gold medals in Berlin, humiliating Adolf Hitler, and he totally was snubbed by President Roosevelt. Because President Roosevelt didn't like black people, Jesse Owens 
famously said, Hitler didn't snub me, my president did. Also, uh, FDR, he sure liked to appoint Klansmen into the uh, into the Supreme Court. He was trying to stack the deck with it. And he was said he was referred to as the first dictatorial president. But we're moving on now to Harry S. Truman. Now, Harry Truman, just to be, um, you know, uh, fair to him, was probably not the first overtly racist president. Isn't that great? So as I continue on with this article, I think that Harry Truman deserves his own little theme song because of how great he was. Here goes the hair, there goes the hair. Where is Harry Truman? He's dead in the ground, he's dead in the ground. He's dead, 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 dead. That's right, Harry Truman. He's considered much better than the, the president before him because of multiple accomplishments that he achieved during his presidency. Here goes the hair, there goes the hair. Where is Harry Truman? He's dead in the ground. He's dead, dead, dead. Ow, ow! Okay, look. Um... You know, he ended World War II. He did. He helped Israel become a nation. And, and this is, I know, something that we're all, like, super happy about. He created the CIA and NATO and more. He's probably the first non-racist Democrat president. And on July 26, 1948, after forcing a pro-civil rights program on hesitating, on, on a hesitating Democrat National Convention... Truman issued executive orders desegregating armed forces and ending discrimination in the federal workforce. Now, that's something to be commended. But takeaway from this is that the Democrats did not like this, okay, because he tried to get this pro-civil rights platform into the Democrat Party. Well, the Democrats, they certainly don't like uh, change when it comes to any type of equality or acknowledging Jewish people or acknowledging God. Democrats really hate that. And in for in in um podcasts that are to come, in future podcasts, we're gonna actually hear audio of them at the Democrat National Convention voting down or trying to vote down Israel as part of their platform, supporting Israel and acknowledging God. And when they don't get their way, they start booing. Isn't that wonderful? What a tremendously great party this is. I don't know why more people don't belong to the racist, Democrat, atheist party. This is fantastic. But you know what? We also get to throw our Marxism in there and our ridiculous Keynesian economics that help continue with the Great Depression that probably would have ended a lot earlier. And then we can introduce the rampaging fiat currency. But you know what? We're going to save how they destroyed the country economically for some other podcasts. Right now, we're looking at how racist they truly are. So, his plans and desires for desegregation would have to wait until Eisenhower and a Republican-controlled Congress that would actually accomplish it. Truman's only real downfall was making the Korean War a police action instead of an actual war. Whether or not dropping the bomb on Japan is a debate for another day. 
Truman entering civil rights into the Democrat platform brought on the creation of the short-lived Dixiecrats. The Dixiecrats, they were members of the state's rights Democrat Party, which splintered from the Democrat Party in 1948. The faction consisted of malcontented Southern delegates led by Strom Thurmond to the Democrat Party who protested the insertion of civil rights plank into the party platform who, after they lost, rejoined the Democrat Party. So, what we need to take from this here is a, a, a quick look at Strom Thurmond and these Dixiecrats because there's this theory floating around of the idea that at some point in history, the Democrats and the Republicans decided to switch names for no reason. Now, granted, when you look at the history, some policies did change. But when it comes to racism, bigotry, and hatred for America, that stays consistent in the Democrat Party. And the reason we know this is because of people like Strom Thurmond and the Dixiecrats and what happened then. Now, a lot of people say, well, hey, look at Strom Thurmond's life. He became a Republican. Mm. Did he? He became a Republican out of necessity because he was so mad at Harry Truman for what he did that he helped push for the Dex Dixiecrats. You see, the Dixiecrats... They were this group of super racist Southern Democrats that hated, and I mean hated the fact that what happened with the integration within the federal government of African Americans and other people that they considered undesirable, that he decided to leave it and then actually try to run for president under the Dixiecrats. He also um, had a very famous um, line that he said in his, um, in, in his speeches while he was running for president. Now, to understand the Dixiecrats, you're also going to have to understand Jim Crow. And Jim Crow is another wonderful set of laws brought to us by the Democrats in order to keep black people down. Now, Sean Thurman here, hmm, he took all these supporters, okay, and he did run and he carried 39 electoral votes, but Truman was reelected. And in 1948, Thurman said the following speech, um, including an ethnic slur, that when he was met, then he was met after he said this by uh, with cheers by supporters. Now, allow me to read this to you, but I'm not going to use the racial slurs. And then I want you to listen very closely to the audio recording that we have of Strom saying this. He said, I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that there's not enough troops in the army to force the Southern people to break down segregation and admit the N-word race into our theaters, into our swimming pools, into our homes, and into our churches. Ladies and gentlemen, that there's not enough troops in the army to force the Southern people to break down segregation and admit the Negro race into our theaters, into our swimming pools, into our homes, and into our churches. Yep. So that is Strom Thurmond himself. Now, he, if you don't remember, he um, filibustered 
or tried to filibuster the Civil Rights Act of 1957 because, you know, he lost to the president here and the Dixiecrats had to join. All of the Dixiecrats went into the Democrat Party, okay, and they joined back up. So he decided, hey, you know what, this whole Civil Rights Act of uh, 1957, I'm going to filibuster it. And I am going to hold the world record, the United States record of 24 hours and 18 minutes to make sure that black people don't have their rights. Now, he was helped out by Al Gore Sr. in doing that. And we all know who his son is, Al Gore Jr., Okay, because, hey, does the apple fall far from the tree? (laughs) Well, not with the Democrat Party, silly. Of course not. So what they decided to do then was they kept stoking the fires of the Democrat Party to make sure that, you know, these civil rights movements didn't happen. Now, a lot of people got mad at him that he was fighting the president, that he was splintering the Democrat Party. They weren't going to be supporting him anymore if he kept this up, and he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And the Democrats are thinking, you know what? We have other ways now of keeping people down. We don't have to just do it physically. While that's a good way to do it, We're going to also do it through policy, Jim Crow laws, poll taxes, all sorts of other things. But these pesky Republicans, they're trying to push for the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And so uh, whenever they tried to do that, that is when um, uh, Hillary Clinton's mentor, Robert Byrd, decided to follow in the footsteps of his buddy Strom Thurmond and filibuster for 14 hours. It didn't work. As much as they tried to keep black people down, the Republican Party was able to prevail and actually get it passed. And um, in doing so, Strom's thinking, hey, you know what? I'm probably not going to be able to hold my position with all these Democrats not liking me. But you know what? I can get people to still like me in my home state because I'm a name. And I think I'll switch to the Republican Party. So he's the only one that did. And on September 16th, 1964, he switched party affiliations. Was it because he had a a great vision of, oh, I truly was right? Or was this just politically advantageous? And so that's what he decided to do, thinking, you know what? I'll go make a deal and tell Republicans, listen, I know that I'm a horrible person, but... I can sure bring you in votes. I can swing things for you here in the South. I still have a lot of pull, and these Democrats are throwing me out. I got to stay in power. So you know what? He actually did compromise his beliefs in being a complete crazy racist trying to do everything he can to destroy black people so that he could stay in power because power and money were more important to him. Now, he backed up this uh, candidate named Barry Goldwater in 1964, who was a Republican, sort of. He certainly wasn't a conservative or a constitutionalist. This guy is about as much as a Republican or a constitutionalist or even a conservative as perhaps Donald Trump is. Or, if you look at it this way, Gary Johnson, according to the libertarian views, isn't much of a libertarian. But you know what? Barry Goldwater failed miserably in 1964, and he lost. So Strom Thurmond, then he also backed Richard Nixon. And I believe Richard Nixon lost too. But hey, this is the Democrat Party. So as long as you're super racist, everything's great. 
It's important to note that the years between Harry Truman and John F. Kennedy were monumentous for the civil rights movement in America. Now, on September 30th, 1953, Earl Warren, California's three-term Republican governor, and 1948 Republican vice presidential nominee, nominated to be chief justice, wrote the landmark decision in Brown versus the Board of Education. The court declared states' laws establishing separate public schools for black and white students to be unconstitutional. On March 12, 1956, 97 Democrats in Congress condemned the Supreme Court's decision in Brown versus the Board of Education and pledged to continue segregation with the Southern Manifesto. On June 5, 1956, Republican federal judge Frank Johnson rules in favor of Rosa Parks in, in decision striking down blacks in the back of the bus law. September 24, 1957, President Dwight Eisenhower federalizes the National Guard and orders U.S. Army troops to ensure Little Rock Central High School in Arkansas integrated. Federal and National Guard troops escorted the Little Rock Nine. On September 9, 1957, President Eisenhower signed the Republican Party's Civil Rights Act of 1957. This act was primarily a voting rights bill ensuring that all people had the right to vote. This bill was filibustered by Democrat Strom Thurmond for a record 24 hours and 18 minutes. On May 6, 1960, President Eisenhower signed the Civil Rights Act of 1960, overcoming a 125-hour round-the-clock filibuster by 18 Senate Democrats. This bill was to that established this was a bill that established federal inspectors of local voter registration polls and introduced penalties for anyone who obstructed someone's attempt to register to vote that's right and whenever we get democrats in charge that don't like laws they just skirt around them or ignore them and we will see that when we talk about currency and the Democrats, too. But we already saw that with the first Democrat president who didn't care what the Supreme Court had to say. And he didn't care what the laws were either. He illegally did stuff just like Barack Hussein Obama and his attorney general, Eric Holder, when it was on video in 2008 election in Philadelphia with the Black Panther Party standing outside voting uh, polling places, keeping white people from voting. And it was said by Eric Holder that those laws were written for black people, not for white people. So it doesn't matter. And the case was dropped. There were many people that worked for the attorney general that resigned that year in 2009 because they were so disgusted in what was going on. But hey, that's the Democrat Party. What should you expect but just racism and lawlessness? Now we get to move to the 11th Democrat president, and that is John F. Kennedy. He was elected in 1961. Like Harry Truman, John F. Kennedy, as president, vocally supported the civil rights movement. 
even though, and this is me speaking here, he was a terrible misogynist. That's right. He was as bad as Bill Clinton, but he was a little more discreet. And he liked his women of higher quality and social stature, like Marilyn Monroe. Him and his brother used to share her. Isn't that great, ladies? Because the Democrats, they care so much about women. I mean, we don't have any records of him actually raping women like President William Jefferson Clinton. But he certainly did treat them bad. It's not like he was just caught on tape, you know, supposedly saying or actually saying he wants to grab them by certain parts of their body. Nope, he just abused them. What a great Democrat he was. Anyways, back to our story. However, before he was president, while he was a senator, he voted against President Eisenhower's Civil Rights Bill of 1957. During his campaign for president, John F. Kennedy campaigned hard for civil rights, saying that it would be his key issue as president. However, once he became president, he failed to do anything of any measurable significance in that regard. The one thing that John F. Kennedy did accomplish was that he appointed more African Americans than any president before him in the federal positions, and that's actually something to be commended. Apart from his lacking civil rights legislation, Kennedy was more of a conservative than he was a liberal. He cut taxes. He truly disliked racist Democrat Al Gore Sr. He was a major proponent of free trade. He was extremely anti-communist. He went to Vietnam to help those being slaughtered who did not want communism. He was anti-abortion. He believed in the full letter of the law. He preferred to spend money on military than social programs. He was very pro-oil and gas, and even the press called him a conservative. The very first piece of civil rights legislation that the Democrats finally outnumbered the Republicans on was the Equal Pay Act of 1963. On this bill, 160 Republicans and 201 Democrats voted yes. Zero Republicans voted no, and nine Democrats voted no, and 17 Republicans with 45 Democrats voted present. Even on this bill, that the Democrats outnumbered the Republicans, the Republicans still showed more unity and solidarity for equality than Democrats did. The assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963 brings us to the 12th Democrat president, Lyndon B. Johnson. LBJ is touted as a civil rights hero by many people. However, those same people only look at the legislation that was passed during his tenure in office, which we will cover shortly. Though an extremely racist person, LBJ was a political genius. He understood that he could guarantee the black vote through a series of bills that were catered to African Americans and minorities who were typically lower income. When it came to civil rights, Johnson signed into law some key legislation. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 forbade job discrimination and the segregation of public accommodations, which was filibustered and was introduced and approved by a staggering majority of Republicans in the Senate. The act was opposed by most Southern Democrat senators, several of whom were proud segregationists, one of them being Al Gore Sr., the Voting Rights Act of 1965 passed with 94% 
of Senate Republicans voting for the landmark civil rights legislation, while 20% of Democrats opposed it. It assured minority registration and voting, and it suspended the use of literacy or other voter qualification tests that had sometimes served to keep African Americans off voting lists and provided for federal court lawsuits to stop, to stop discriminatory poll taxes. Now, these discriminatory poll discriminatory these discriminatory poll taxes are something that Lyndon Johnson most certainly was concerned about, but but that didn't stop him from actually signing it because it was politically advantageous to him. Huh? How do we know? what he felt about these sort of Jim Crow laws and things like that. Well, we actually have a recording that was from um, Lyndon Johnson here uh, when he was on the phone in the White House and the phone was tapped and recorded and these were released. And so this was uploaded to YouTube on February 16th, 2008. And it's, President Lyndon Johnson talking about these poll taxes, talking about these literacy, um, you know, components and stuff, and most certainly talking about the 1965 Civil Rights Act that he was forced to sign. Oh, and he drops the N-word in it, too, because he's a Democrat president. Say what? You can't have a poll tax. They can say you can't have a gas tax or a cigarette tax or anything else. Federal government's telling the states that... Uh, pretty tough what, what their business is now. Now, if you didn't catch that, right in the beginning he said, saying that you can't have a poll tax is like saying you can't have a, a gas tax or a cigarette tax. It's the federal government telling the states what they can do. You can say that they can't discriminate, but I've got to prove that it discriminates. Now, I can't prove it in Texas. There are more niggers voting there than there are white folks. There are more of them buying poll taxes than there are white folks. Higher percentage of them. And I can't show that uh, that the literacy test is, is that discriminate against because they haven't got any. They got no test at all. Just by God, anybody that can get up and pay a dollar and six bets can vote. Wow! Anyone that can get up and pay a dollar and six bits can get up and vote. Gee, yeah, there's, you know, that's the problem in Texas is that there's more N-words than there are white people that are voting. Oh, boy, that sure does put a damper on everything, doesn't it there, LBJ? So, um, this reinforced the Civil Rights Act of 1964 by authorizing the appointment of federal voting examiners in areas that did not meet voter participation requirements. The Immigration and Nationality Service Act of 1965 abolished the national origin quotas in immigration law. The Civil Rights Act of 1968 banned housing discrimination and extended constitutional protections to Native Americans on reservations. However, even though LBJ had the civil rights accomplished some have said that the only reason he signed them was to pander to the black vote. His great society legislation would help this idea hold some merit. The Economic Opportunity Act of 1964 is a really good example of the pandering that came about as Johnson started the liberal ideology of the quote-unquote war on poverty. This legislation created an Office of Equal of Economic Opportunity, uh, the OEO, to oversee a variety of community-based anti-poverty programs. These programs were coined to help black the black community rise out rise to their level of their white counterparts through federal aid. That sounds like a great idea, right? 
but the historical facts and figures disagree markedly, and it's hard to paint this disparity as sheer coincidence. Those facts indicate that the plight of blacks had been improving up until the passage of the Great Society program, but that in the 40-some-odd years since Blacks' economic, social, familial, and education systems situations have gotten much, much worse. One of the many consequences of the Great Society strategy was that the government used child poverty to crush individualism and pride among inner-city blacks. Then, Congress mandated food stamps and welfare recruiters, quote-unquote, went into the cities to convince poor people to enroll at the end of the day. Their, Their welfare state, though it may have been possibly created out of love, concern, and niceness, or a plethora of other well-meaning reasons, resulted in more damage to the black family. Today, black children are less likely to be raised by two parents than they were during the era of slavery. This type of recruitment still goes on to this very day and has been written about in such books as Blacklash, written by, let me get her name real quick, Deneen Borelli. Deneen was a woman who was on welfare in the ghetto, and she heard a sermon from her pastor, and, and that just really struck with her, and she said, you know what, I can't be this way. This isn't right. And it's a story about her getting off of welfare and how difficult it was because these people would show up at her door to sign her up, almost giving bonuses. They tried so hard because, you see, the way that it's set up, is it is so much better and so much more economically advantageous for you at this point to remain on the Democrat plantations and in the ghettos and in welfare and on food stamps and dependent on them so they can ensure your votes than it is to actually be a free American that is not dependent on the government. Now, of course, Democrats don't like that. They want everybody dependent on the government. That's why they pushed Obamacare so badly in 2000. Because they want one-sixth of the American economy under their control. And if you can control people's health, then you can control their life and you can control what they do. You can control their money. You can force them to buy a product. But back to our article. Prior to the advent of the Great Society, black families were much better off. Poverty was on the decline. The crime level was at a low, but not for long. Crime soared because of the Great Society and the attitudes of which it partook. In the decades after the Great Society, the murder rate effectively doubled and the riots exploded. Black-on-black crime soared in particular. The AFDC, or Aid to Families with Dependent Children's Act, uh, was enacted in FDR's New Deal, but was limited to helping widows with children. However, under the Great Society, Johnson and Congress quietly changed the AFDC qualifications to include any household where there was no male family head present, a shift that made virtually any divorced or single mother of low income eligible for taxpayer money. The incentives of the program made it financially more lucrative not to be married than to be married. The no-father policy of the Great Society left inner-city black boys with no with no male role models. After a few years, young black men could literally look in any direction and not see an intact black family. Stepping up as role models, the gang leaders inducted thousands of impressionable young males into drug running, gun battles, and often death. 
No amount of jobs program would fill the void produced by the great society's perverted incentives that presumed as unnecessary the role of the father. Now, this type of understanding has become a career for a lot of African-Americans. Third and now fourth and maybe even fifth generation are on this type of career of just having babies. It is legend and fable and in song in the black Girl, community. Girl, restaurant except the EBT cards for the hot food. Jack in the box, KFC, Subway, El Pollo Loco, Rally's Burger, most of the donut shops, the burger stands. Woody Barbecue, all the fish markets, some of the beauty supply stores on Crenshaw, and Rainbow on La Brea. You can buy you some clothes. How much you got on your EBT card? Girl, I got enough to get it turned up. I done took the kids to the babysitter. Which liquor store take the EBT card? Where y'all get that Patron last time? Public service announcement. This is where the taxpayer money goes. generation or generations of people from this great society program, from this new deal, from all of these Democrat things that completely destroy the black family because Democrats learned with the Native Americans, you can't allow them to keep their families and their cultures because they will remain as a community. They will remain as a nation intact and they will be strong. We must decimate them. We must stop them somehow. And this is how they did it. Now, Lyndon Johnson was a progressive liberal genius, and he even knew it himself. His most famous quote that has haunted the Democrat Party to this very day will continue to be used by conservative Americans and is, quote, these Negroes, they're getting pretty uppity these days, and that's a problem for us since they've got something now they've never had before, the political pull to back up their uppityness. Now, we've got to do something about this. We've got to give them a little something, just enough to quiet them down, not enough to make a, make a difference. I'll have them N-words voting Democrat for the next 200 years, unquote. That's right. Destroy the families, make them a slave to the state and keep them on the Democrat plantation. Hey, President Obama, what do you think about LBJ? 
Yes, race still colors our political debates, and there have been government programs that have fallen short. In a time when cynicism is too often passed off as wisdom, it's perhaps easy to conclude that there are limits to change, that we are trapped by our own history, and politics is a fool's errand. And we'd be better off if we roll back big chunks of LBJ's legacy, or at least if we don't put too much of our hope, invest too much of our hope in our government. I reject such thinking. Not just because Medicare Not just because Medicare and Medicaid have lifted millions from suffering. Not just because the poverty rate in this nation would be far worse without food stamps and Head Start and all the great society programs that survive to this day. I reject such cynicism because I have lived out the promise of LBJ's efforts. Because Michelle has lived out the legacy of those efforts, because my daughters have lived out the legacy of those efforts, because I and millions of my generation were in a position to take the baton that he handed to us. Because, because of the civil rights movement, because of the laws President Johnson signed, New doors of opportunity and education swung open for everybody. Not all at once, but, but they swung open. Not just blacks and whites, but also women and Latinos and Asians and Native Americans and gay Americans and Americans with a disability. They swung open for you and they swung open for me. And that's why I'm standing here today because of those efforts, because of that legacy. And the legacy, as we know, is the legacy from the Republicans that pushed for that, the Republicans who fought for that. That is where that came from, not from anything the Democrats have ever done. These laws were enacted because of the way Democrats behaved before the Democrat Party started, period, we didn't have these problems. All men were free. These things were enacted because, because Democrats refused to allow free men to be free. They are the ones that caused the problems. They are the ones who stood in the way. But that's all right. We're now moving to our 13th Democrat president, Mr. Jimmy Carter, the peanut farmer. And I think that we'll deal with him in the next podcast. This has been Today, Your Act.